you are now tuned into World War II Stories. I'm your host, Steve Matthews, and I'm here to take you on a journey through the whirlwind of historical events that shaped our world and defined generations. Stay tuned every Tuesday and Thursday as we delve into the riveting, inspiring, and sometimes tragic stories from World War II. We'll meet the brave men and women who stood up to tyranny, we'll explore clandestine operations and daring escapes, and we'll pay tribute to the resilience of the human spirit in times of extreme adversity. Also, be sure to check out our other podcast focusing on World War I, the conflict that set the stage for the global turmoil that followed. Use the link in the description below. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The desert sun blazed down upon the seemingly endless stretch of sand, casting long, undulating shadows that swayed like the specters of soldiers past. Here, amid the austere beauty of the Sahara, the stage was set for a confrontation that would prove to be a turning point in the deadliest conflict in human history. This was El Alamine, the setting of a series of battles that would determine the fate of North Africa in World War II and significantly influence the global outcome of the war. Among the sea of khaki tents and armored vehicles, the palpable tension hung heavy in the air as soldiers from the Axis and Allied powers prepared to square off. Two skilled generals, German Field Marshal Erwin Rommel, renowned as the Desert Fox, and British General Claude Auchinleck, stood at the helms of their respective armies. Their strategic genius, bolstered by the courage and resilience of their troops, would transform the harsh desert landscape into an unforgiving battlefield. This story transports us back to the volatile days of mid-1942, tracing the journey to El Alamine, the visceral moments of the battle, and the far-reaching implications of its outcome. It is a tale of courage and desperation, of tactical brilliance and costly mistakes, of heroic defenses and final victories. Fasten your seatbelt, for you are about to traverse through the annals of history, revisiting the strategies, the valor, and the human spirit that marked the first battle of El Alamine. A chapter from World War II that resonates in the corridors of military history and continues to impact our understanding of warfare today. Chapter 1. The Road to El Alamine In the heart of the North African desert, a man was rapidly gaining a reputation that would seal his place in the annals of military history. Erwin Rommel, an enigmatic German field marshal, would come to be known by a moniker that both allies and adversaries would come to respect, the Desert Fox. Born into a middle-class family in Heidenheim, Germany, in 1891, Rommel's journey to becoming a military legend was far from predictable. A young, keen student with an innate intellectual curiosity, Rommel's path into military service was, in many ways, charted by the circumstances of his time rather than any predetermined ambition. It was World War I that first threw him into the crucible of combat, where his uncanny strategic acumen, adaptability, and an inherent ability to inspire loyalty among his soldiers began to shine. 
By the time World War II descended upon the world, Rommel had ascended the ranks of the German military. Despite his common origins, he stood tall among the military aristocracy of the Third Reich, his reputation well earned through his exploits in France and across Europe. Then came the call to Africa. As the commander of the Africa Corps, Rommel faced a new kind of warfare, one that pitted man against not just his fellow man, but also the merciless, unforgiving desert. It was a theater of war vastly different from the European landscapes he had conquered. Yet, it was here, amidst the endless dunes and scorching heat, that the desert fox would make his indelible mark. Rommel had an uncanny ability to read the desert. His understanding of the terrain, the use of surprise tactics, and rapid, decisive strikes bewildered his adversaries. His keen intellect wove intricate battle plans that danced around the limitations of supply lines and the brutal desert conditions. The British and Allied forces soon found themselves facing a foe unlike any other they had previously encountered. Yet, it was not just his military genius that earned him the nickname Desert Fox. There was a charisma to Rommel that belied the harsh environment in which he found himself. He inspired a fierce loyalty among his troops, treating his men with a respect that built an unshakable bond between the commander and the commanded. As the conflict in North Africa escalated, so did Rommel's reputation. From the victories in Tobruk to the stalemate at Gazala, he maneuvered his forces with a deftness that seemed almost supernatural. But it was the upcoming clash at El Alamein that would truly test the mettle of the desert fox. Little did he know then, the sands of time were shifting, and destiny had a fierce battle in store. As Rommel fortified his reputation in the harsh desert terrain, a conflict of vast significance was unfurling in the western desert. It was more than just a clash of arms, it was a struggle for survival, for dominance, and for control over a region of immense strategic importance. The heart of this conflict was Egypt, with its ancient history and, crucially, the Suez Canal. The Suez Canal was more than just a waterway, it was the lifeblood of the British Empire. A vital route for the transport of goods, troops, and fuel, it was the tether that bound Britain to its colonies and the wider world. For the Axis powers, it represented a potentially lethal blow to the Allied war effort. Control of the canal would strangle Britain's supply lines and provide a backdoor to the oil-rich Middle East. The stakes could not have been higher. However, seizing the canal was easier said than done. Between Rommel's Africa Corps and this prize stood the Eighth Army of the British Empire. Led by the resolute General Claude Auchinleck, the Eighth Army was a diverse coalition of soldiers from across the British Empire and the Commonwealth. Auchinleck, affectionately known as the Auk, was a seasoned military officer, a meticulous planner, and a leader respected by his troops. He was well aware of what was at stake and prepared to defend the Suez Canal to the last man. The first half of 1942 saw a series of battles in the western desert, with territory changing hands frequently. Rommel's successes in Tobruk and Gazala had pushed the Allies back, and it seemed the Suez Canal was within the Axis's grasp. However, the Eighth Army stood firm, their resolve embodied in their motto, Here we will stand, and here we will stay. In the summer of 1942, 
the stage was set for what would become a landmark confrontation. The British Eighth Army found themselves dug in at a small railway stop overlooked by the Qatar Depression to the south and the Mediterranean Sea to the north. The name of this unassuming station was El Alamine. In the heat-soaked silence of the desert, the echoes of war were growing louder. A titanic struggle was on the horizon, a conflict that would shake the very foundations of the Western Desert Campaign. Rommel and Auchinleck, two determined generals, prepared their troops for the battles to come, both understanding that the destiny of North Africa hung in the balance. The first battle of El Alamein was about to begin. Beneath the strategic maneuvers and military squabbles of the Western Desert Campaign, a deeper drama was unfolding. This was a war of ideals, a clash of worldviews, and a fight for the soul of nations. The first battle of El Alamein was not merely an isolated incident on the world map, it was an integral part of a global struggle that was reshaping the contours of the world. On one side of this ideological divide were the Axis powers, led by Adolf Hitler's Germany, with Italy and Japan as principal allies. They championed a vision of the world order based on aggressive expansionism, racial supremacy, and autocratic rule. This vision was embodied in the militaristic might of the Africa Corps and their relentless push towards the Suez Canal. Their efforts in North Africa were part of a larger, ominous design that threatened the very principles of democracy and self-determination. On the other side stood the Allies, a diverse group of nations united in their opposition to the Axis's ideological agenda. Representing the ideals of democracy, freedom, and justice, the Allied forces were a testament to international cooperation in the face of shared adversity. Amid the vast expanses of the Sahara, British General Claude Auchinleck and German Field Marshal Erwin Rommel personified this ideological clash. While they were both military men carrying out their duties, their actions echoed with implications far beyond the immediate field of battle. The British Eighth Army, under Auchinleck, was a living representation of the Allies' ideals. It was a melting pot of soldiers hailing from a myriad of backgrounds, British, Australians, New Zealanders, Indians, South Africans, and more. Their presence in North Africa was not only about safeguarding the Suez Canal but also about upholding the values that their country stood for in the face of totalitarian aggression. In contrast, Rommel, although admired for his tactical brilliance and leadership, was part of a machinery that threatened the very fabric of international peace and stability. His success would mean a victory for an ideology that the world was increasingly recognizing as a menace to human dignity and freedom. As the world watched with bated breath, the stage was set at El Alamein for an epic clash that was about more than just military victory. The battles fought in the scorched sands of North Africa were battles for the hearts and minds of people around the globe. The stakes were high, and the world waited to see which ideals would emerge victorious. Chapter 2, Battle Lines Drawn As the opposing forces readied themselves for the forthcoming conflict, the otherwise serene expanse of the Sahara was a cacophony of activity. Soldiers checked their weapons, commanders poured over maps, and orders were dispatched across the sprawling encampments. The once quiet railway station of El Alamein was brimming with anticipation. 
General Auchinleck's meticulous nature shone through as he prepared his men for the battle ahead. Ever the thorough planner, he made sure his soldiers were well acquainted with the terrain and familiar with the enemy's tactics. He drilled them hard, believing that their survival and success depended on their readiness. He used the natural barrier of the Qatar Depression to secure his southern flank, understanding that any enemy attack must come from the north. It was a decision that would shape the battle to come. In contrast, Field Marshal Rommel, while equally aware of the importance of preparation, had to grapple with mounting difficulties. His men were weary, supplies were dwindling, and the unforgiving desert had taken a toll on his mechanized divisions. He was also battling health issues, but none of this deterred the desert fox. He rallied his men, promising them that the Suez Canal was within their reach, using his charisma and reputation to boost their morale. As the day drew closer, the mood was one of tension and quiet determination. Soldiers penned letters to their loved ones, shared jokes to lighten the mood, and prayed for a favorable outcome. In the backdrop, the hum of engines, the clanging of equipment, and the muted conversations painted a vivid picture of an army bracing for a decisive encounter. Behind the scenes, a game of intelligence was being played out. Both sides tried to gather as much information about the other as possible. The Allies had an edge here, thanks to their superior code-breaking abilities, granting them valuable insight into Rommel's plans. As the sun set on the eve of the battle, an eerie calm descended on El Alamein. The soldiers caught some rest, knowing that the next day would demand every ounce of their courage, strength, and resilience. Little did they know then that they were about to participate in a battle that would forever be etched in the annals of history. In the maelstrom of activity leading up to the conflict, the two military leaders, Rommel and Auchinleck, took decidedly different approaches. Their decisions, shaped by their contrasting personalities and circumstances, offered an intriguing study of leadership under pressure. Field Marshal Rommel, always the maverick, faced a slew of challenges. The desert's relentless heat took its toll on his men and machines, while dwindling supplies and stretched communication lines further strained their resilience. Yet, Rommel's reputation as the Desert Fox instilled a spirit of tenacity in his troops. He placed his faith in swift, aggressive tactics, banking on an initial heavy assault to disrupt and demoralize the Allies. As the Day of Reckoning approached, Rommel stood amidst his men, his presence a beacon of determination against the stark desert backdrop. He spoke words of encouragement, infusing his troops with a sense of purpose and resolve. His iron will became their armor, his audacity their rallying cry. Meanwhile, General Auchinleck was a man who left nothing to chance. A stickler for detail, he made sure every angle was considered, every eventuality planned for. He recognized the importance of the Qatar Depression, a natural barrier to his south, and he used it to his advantage, forcing any Axis attack to be launched from the north. In the sweltering heat of the desert, Auchinleck could be seen poring over maps, strategizing and counter-strategizing, his face a mask of calm determination. He held meetings with his subordinates, imparting his vision and strategy, ensuring everyone was on the same page. His hands-on approach to leadership imbued his men with confidence, 
reinforcing their faith in the forthcoming battle. In the quiet moments before the storm, the human side of war became starkly apparent. Soldiers from both sides, separated by just a stretch of desert, were united in their shared anticipation, fear, and longing for home. Yet, each man was resolute, ready to play his part in the theater of war that was about to unfold. As dawn crept over the horizon, the vast Sahara held its breath. The sands shifted uneasily, as if in anticipation of the whirlwind of activity they were about to witness. The preparations had been made, the pieces were in place, and all that remained was the sounding of the guns. The curtain was about to rise on the first battle of El Alamein. The night before the battle was a picture of contrasts. Underneath the vast, star-studded sky, the hushed whispers of the desert were punctuated by the rumbling of tanks and the last-minute check of equipment. The calmness of the night belied the storm that was to come with the first light of dawn. In the British camp, Auchinleck met with his officers one last time, reiterating the importance of holding their ground. His words echoed in the silence, there will be no retreat, no surrender. Here we stand, and here we stay. The orders were clear they would fight till the end. Soldiers spent the evening cleaning their rifles, checking their gear, writing letters, or quietly reflecting. The tension hung in the air like an electric charge, the anticipation palpable. Across the field, Rommel, though unwell, was a picture of determination. He gathered his officers, outlining the plan of attack once again, emphasizing the need for speed and aggression. His conviction bolstered the spirits of his men. Even in the face of adversity, the desert fox exuded an aura of confidence, a testament to his reputation. As the night deepened, soldiers of the Africa Corps huddled around makeshift fires, sharing stories, laughter, and the silent camaraderie of men standing on the precipice of the unknown. On the eve of the battle, a strange tranquility pervaded the desert. An eerie calm settled over the sands as if the desert itself held its breath, waiting for the clash of titans. The soldiers of both camps sought a few hours of rest, their dreams a mix of homesickness, fear, and the prospect of the coming fight. In the tense quietude, the immensity of the event that was about to unfold became evident. This was not just a battle between two armies, but a clash of ideologies and a test of determination and courage. On the eve of this significant confrontation, both sides understood that their actions would reverberate far beyond the confines of the desert, shaping the course of the Second World War. As the first light of dawn began to color the horizon, a sense of inevitability filled the air. The stage was set, the actors in place, and the opening act of the first battle of El Alamein was about to begin. Little did the world know then that this battle would become a turning point, etching its name into the annals of history. Chapter 3 The Battle Unfolds The crack of dawn on July 1, 1942, brought with it the deafening sound of artillery. The tranquil desert was jarred awake as the first salvos were fired signaling the start of the First Battle of El Alamein. As the sun began to rise, painting the sky with hues of orange and pink, the desert floor was consumed by a symphony of war, the rumble of tanks, the whizzing of bullets, and the thunderous roars of artillery. 
Rommel, in accordance with his aggressive strategy, launched the initial attack. His armored divisions roared forward, kicking up a storm of sand and dust as they sought to breach the Allied defenses. The Desert Fox aimed to create chaos and exploit any weak points, relying on his blitzkrieg tactics that had served him so well in the past. Yet, Auchinleck's meticulous preparation proved effective. The Allies, expecting the attack, stood their ground. They responded with a barrage of artillery, turning the desert into a fiery tableau. Despite the intensity of the Axis attack, the British Eighth Army, a mosaic of diverse soldiers united under a common banner, held firm, repelling the initial assault. In the unforgiving terrain of the desert, both sides experienced the stalemate's grind. Despite repeated attempts, Rommel couldn't break through the Allies' formidable defenses. His armored divisions were met with a wall of resistance, and his supplies were rapidly depleting. On the other side, Auchinleck, though successful in holding the line, could not achieve a decisive blow against the Axis forces. The British general grappled with the challenge of launching an effective counteroffensive amidst the constant onslaught. The battle raged on, each day bringing a fresh wave of conflict and confrontation. Amid the smoke and sand, soldiers fought with grit and determination, their courage unabated despite the stalemate. The sound of gunfire replaced the tranquil silence of the desert nights, and the once peaceful El Alamine became the stage for one of World War II's most critical battles. As days turned into weeks, the toll of the battle became evident. The desert, once a vast expanse of golden sand, was now scarred by the marks of war tank tracks, shell craters, and the silent remnants of the fallen. Yet, in the face of mounting challenges and grim realities, neither side showed signs of backing down. The battle was far from over, and the sands of El Alamein held more stories to tell. Even the most titanic struggles often hinge on a single, decisive moment, a turning point that shifts the balance and changes the course of events. As the Battle of El Alamein raged on under the relentless African sun, such a moment was looming on the horizon. Rommel's troops, despite their spirited attacks, were unable to breach the Allies' line. Their supplies dwindled, and morale started to wane. Even the Desert Fox, known for his strategic brilliance, struggled under the constant pressure from the resource-rich allies. His health issues further exacerbated the situation. He was compelled to take a temporary leave, leaving his second-in-command in charge a development that sowed a seed of uncertainty in the Axis camp. On the other hand, a pivotal change occurred in the Allied camp as well. Auchinleck was replaced by General Bernard Montgomery as the commander of the Eighth Army marking a significant turning point in the battle. Known for his tactical prowess and leadership, Montgomery arrived with renewed vigor, instilling a sense of hope in the weary soldiers. His kill-or-be-killed mantra, along with his focus on training and discipline, reinvigorated the troops. In the weeks that followed, Montgomery implemented several key strategies that slowly began to turn the tide of the battle. He bolstered the defenses and launched carefully planned counterattacks, slowly eroding the Axis forces' strength. His tactics, paired with his soldiers' resolute determination, started to shift the momentum towards the Allies. 
The turning point arrived when the British launched Operation Supercharge. Montgomery launched an all-out offensive, pushing against the Axis lines with everything they had tanks, artillery, and infantry. The sheer intensity of the attack caught the Axis forces off guard, putting them on the back foot. As the sun set, painting the horizon with strokes of crimson and gold, a new reality began to take shape on the sands of El Alamein. The resilient British Eighth Army had not only held their ground but had managed to push back the formidable Axis forces. The tide was turning, and with it, the course of the battle. But the final act was yet to unfold. The echoes of victory and defeat were still to resonate in the vast desert expanse. In the grand tapestry of war, it is often the soldiers, the staunch defenders of their nations, whose stories echo the loudest. The Battle of El Alamein was no different. Amidst the shifting dunes and under the scorching sun, men from various nations fought with a steadfast resolve that was nothing short of awe-inspiring. In the British Eighth Army, there were men like Sergeant Arthur Stanley Gurney, a tough-as-nails Australian who served as a symbol of resilience for his fellow soldiers. Despite facing near-impossible odds, Gurney charged forward, taking out several enemy positions single-handedly. His actions echoed across the front lines, igniting a spark of courage in his comrades. His story, like many others, was a testament to the fortitude that characterized the staunch defenders of El Alamein. Meanwhile, in the Axis camp, soldiers like Johannes Bolter, a humble sergeant in the Africa Corps, stood out. Despite their dwindling supplies and morale, Bolter and his peers fought with unwavering courage. Their stories told a tale of unyielding commitment to their cause, a narrative that resonated deeply amidst the dust and gunfire. Each side had its heroes and its legends. Some were soldiers who had displayed extraordinary courage under fire. Others were medics who had braved the battlefield to tend to the wounded. And yet others were ordinary men, soldiers who dutifully performed their duties standing their ground amidst the chaos. Their stories became the lifeline that held the army together, the beacon that lit their path amidst the darkness of war. And so, despite the weariness of battle, despite the growing toll, these men held their ground. The soldiers of the Eighth Army, under the strategic leadership of Montgomery, maintained their defensive line, repelling the relentless attacks of the Axis forces. The tide of the battle was turning, and the staunch defenders of El Alamein could feel it. Their determination didn't waver. Instead, it was invigorated by the promise of victory. Their story was the story of El Alamein a tale of resilience, of courage, and the indomitable spirit of humanity, even in the face of overwhelming adversity. Chapter 4 The Allies' Triumph In the crucible of El Alamein, the tide was indeed changing. The sands, once the scene of a stalemate, now echoed the sounds of an imminent victory for the Allies. The relentless British Eighth Army under the command of the meticulous General Bernard Montgomery was making significant headway. Montgomery's tactics were bearing fruit. The persistent attacks were weakening the already strained Axis forces, and the Allied soldiers were pushing forward with renewed vigor. The tide that had been in balance for so long was now flowing in favor of the Allies. The Eighth Army could feel it, 
and so could the beleaguered Axis forces. Rommel, who had returned to the battlefield, could see the change. His forces were depleted, and their spirit was wearing thin. The mighty Africa Corps, once a symbol of the Axis's strength in North Africa, was now struggling to hold their ground against the unrelenting onslaught of the Allies. As the tide of battle turned, the difference in the demeanor of the opposing forces became starkly evident. The Allied soldiers, buoyed by their recent gains, stood taller, their resolve hardened. The words of Montgomery echoed in their minds, we will hit Rommel for six right out of Africa. This determination was palpable in every charge, every attack that they launched. On the other hand, the once fearsome Axis soldiers wore a look of exhaustion. The relentless attacks, dwindling supplies, and the scorching desert heat were taking their toll. The once invincible Desert Fox and his men now stood on the precipice, the shadow of defeat looming over them. Yet, even as the tide turned, the end was not immediate. The Axis forces, though weary, fought with a desperate courage. Rommel, ever the strategist, attempted to organize his troops for a counterattack. The battle was far from over, and the desert of El Alamein still held the climax of this historic confrontation. The changing tide was a testament to the perseverance of the Allied forces and a reminder of the fickle nature of war, where fortunes could shift as quickly as the desert sands. As the sun set on another grueling day of battle, the once peaceful El Alamein prepared for the final act of this dramatic saga. Operation Manhood marked a pivotal moment in the Battle of El Alamein. It was Montgomery's brainchild, a decisive push to break the Axis defenses once and for all. The Allies' morale was soaring, the men, powered by a sense of imminent victory, were ready for the ultimate confrontation. Montgomery, ever the meticulous planner, orchestrated the operation with precision. He assembled an overwhelming force, a mix of infantry and tanks, poised to strike at the heart of the Axis lines. The Eighth Army, buoyed by their recent successes and the changing tide of the battle, was prepared to give their all. As night fell on the 2nd of November, Operation Manhood was set into motion. The eerie silence of the desert was shattered by the roaring of tanks and the thunderous boom of artillery. The Allies launched their attack, their weapons lighting up the night sky like a storm of steel and fire. On the other side, Rommel, despite his failing health and dwindling resources, orchestrated a spirited defense. His men, though weary and outnumbered, fought back with all their might. The Desert Fox was not one to give up easily, even when faced with insurmountable odds. Yet, the Allied assault was relentless. Wave after wave of infantry charged, and the desert echoed with the clamor of battle. Tanks rumbled forward, crushing the Axis defenses with their sheer might. The Desert Fox and his men were cornered, their once formidable line reduced to a shrinking pocket of resistance. Operation Manhood was proving to be the turning point Montgomery had envisioned. The Eighth Army was making significant progress, and the Axis forces were steadily retreating. The end was in sight. Yet, even as victory seemed inevitable, the men of the Eighth Army didn't relent. They pushed on, fueled by a determination to end the battle that had ravaged the beautiful desert landscape for so long. Under the starlit sky of El Alamein, 
the final act was unfolding, the climax of a battle that would forever be etched in the annals of history. The dawn of November 4, 1942, brought a new day and a new destiny for El Alamein. The desert, which had reverberated with the sounds of gunfire and artillery for days on end, now echoed a different tune. Victory was at hand for the Allies. The sun rose over a changed landscape, the air filled with the smell of burnt metal and sand. As the dust settled, the sight that greeted the men of the Eighth Army was one of devastation but also of victory. The Axis forces, once an imposing presence, had retreated, leaving behind a battlefield that bore the scars of the fierce fighting. General Montgomery stood tall amidst his men, a look of quiet satisfaction on his face. Operation Manhood had been a success. The Axis defenses had crumbled under the relentless Allied assault, and the Desert Fox had been effectively outfoxed. Montgomery's strategy, his patient and meticulous planning, had paid off. In stark contrast, Field Marshal Rommel was forced to face the bitter taste of defeat. Despite his tactical genius and the valor of his men, the Africa Corps had been overwhelmed. The depletion of supplies, lack of reinforcements, and the sheer intensity of the Allied assault had proven too much. Rommel ordered a retreat, a decision that signaled the end of the Axis's reign in North Africa. News of the victory at El Alamein resonated around the world. The Allies had won a decisive victory, changing the course of the war. The triumph boosted the morale of the Allied nations and marked the beginning of the end for Axis dominance in World War II. El Alamein, a small town that had been the epicenter of a brutal battle, was now a symbol of hope. The victory there was not just a military achievement, it was a beacon that guided the world towards the belief that the Axis forces could be defeated. As the sun set on El Alamein, it also set on the era of Axis supremacy paving the way for a new chapter in the history of World War II. Chapter 5 Impacts on the Broader Events in WW2 The victory at El Alamein reverberated beyond the sand dunes of North Africa, reaching the war rooms and capital cities of the world. This wasn't just a singular triumph, it represented a seismic shift in the trajectory of the war. For the Allies, the Battle of El Alamein was a powerful wave that turned the tide in their favor. In the vast expanse of North Africa, a subtle yet significant change was afoot. The once invincible Africa Corps was in retreat, and the victorious Allies were preparing for their pursuit. This strategic shift was a stark contrast to the years preceding the battle, when the Axis had seemed unassailable. Across the Atlantic, the echoes of El Alamein resounded in the halls of the White House. President Franklin D. Roosevelt took a moment to grasp the significance of this victory. His nation, the United States, had entered the war less than a year ago following the attack on Pearl Harbor. The triumph at El Alamein was a beacon of hope, a sign that the combined efforts of the Allies could turn the tide against the Axis powers. On the other side of the channel, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill echoed this sentiment. Known for his indomitable spirit, Churchill was not one to get carried away by a single victory. Yet, even he couldn't help but acknowledge the change. Before Alamein, we never had a victory. After Alamein, we never had a defeat, 
he would later remark, highlighting the battle's impact. In the heart of the Soviet Union, the news from El Alamein provided a much-needed morale boost. They were in the throes of the brutal Eastern Front, their cities under siege, their people enduring unimaginable hardships. The defeat of the Axis at El Alamein was an encouraging sign for the beleaguered Soviet leadership, a glimmer of hope that the tide could turn on their front as well. The aftershocks of El Alamein rippled through the Axis capitals too. In Berlin and Rome, the news of Rommel's defeat sent shockwaves. Doubts crept in, and cracks started to appear in the once impervious Axis unity. El Alamein was more than a battle, it was a moment in history that altered the course of the war. The tides of fortune were shifting, and the Allies were beginning to ride the wave. The sands of North Africa had set the stage for this dramatic turn, forever embedding the Battle of El Alamein in the annals of World War II. The echo of the victory at El Alamein was not just felt in the tactical sphere but also in the hearts and minds of millions across the Allied nations. The triumph served as a significant morale booster at a time when the outcome of the war was still very much uncertain. Imagine for a moment the British citizen, sitting in their home, listening to the radio. The past years had been a period of anxiety and uncertainty. London had endured the Blitz, cities were scarred, and families had lost loved ones. Now, the voice on the radio was announcing a victory, not just any victory, but a decisive one against the seemingly unstoppable Axis forces. The effect of such news was electrifying. A sense of jubilation coursed through the streets of London, Manchester, and other cities. The people, having endured so much, could finally see a glimmer of hope. British pride swelled as the nation celebrated the strategic genius of one of their own, General Bernard Montgomery, the man who turned the tide at El Alamein. Across the Atlantic, the impact was just as profound. The United States, a relatively new entrant into the war, was yet to see a significant victory against the Axis. The news from El Alamein provided a much-needed shot in the arm, bolstering the resolve of both the military and the civilians. In the sprawling landscape of the Soviet Union, too, the news of the victory was a breath of fresh air. Despite being locked in a deadly struggle on the Eastern Front, the Russian people drew strength from this triumph. It reinforced their resolve to resist the German invasion and sparked hope for a future victory. Beyond the borders of the Allies, the news had a far-reaching impact. Neutral nations around the world followed the course of the war closely their futures also hinged on its outcome. The victory at El Alamein sent a clear signal, the Axis, formidable as they were, were not invincible. In the grand scheme of the Second World War, the Battle of El Alamein was a powerful morale booster. It was a beacon of hope that shone brightly amidst the gloom of the ongoing conflict, lighting up hearts and stoking the flames of resistance. This victory in the heart of the desert was indeed a catalyst, one that infused the Allied forces and their nations with renewed vigor and determination. A ripple of change was emanating from the arid landscapes of El Alamein, altering the strategic blueprints laid down by the Allies. The triumphant outcome at El Alamein had a crucial role to play in shaping the next major operation of World War II, Operation Torch. Operation Torch, the ambitious Allied plan to invade French North Africa, 
was initially met with apprehension. The United States, newly minted in the war, was wary of committing its forces on a front seemingly detached from the primary conflict in Europe. But the events unfolding in El Alamein were about to change this outlook. As the Africa Corps retreated, the significance of North Africa in the grand scheme of the war was underscored. President Roosevelt, along with his top military advisors, understood that a robust presence in North Africa was a stepping stone towards controlling the Mediterranean and, consequently, opening the southern flank of Axis-occupied Europe. The victory at El Alamein had created an opportune moment, a crack in the Axis armor that the Allies were now poised to exploit. In the headquarters of the Eighth Army, the news of Operation Torch was met with a mix of relief and optimism. General Montgomery knew that this was the perfect opportunity to press the advantage and deal a crushing blow to the already retreating Africa Corps. The prospect of American troops landing in Morocco and Algeria meant an inevitable diversion of Axis resources and focus. Back in Washington and London, the preparations for Operation Torch were now moving ahead full steam. The commanders of Operation Torch, General Dwight D. Eisenhower and General Mark Clark, saw El Alamein's victory as a harbinger of success for their mission. The tide had begun to turn, and the entry point was now clear. As such, the triumph at El Alamein served as a prelude to Operation Torch. It shifted perceptions, reassured the Allies of their strategic path, and paved the way for the next phase of the war. The victory was a crucial turning point that not only boosted morale but also shaped the course of events that followed. It wasn't just a battle won, it was the first step towards regaining control of the war-torn Mediterranean and moving one step closer to victory in World War II. Chapter 6 The Battle's Legacy The echoes of El Alamein didn't just resonate on the battlefield, they also found their way into the tapestry of popular culture. Today, decades after the last gun fell silent in the desert, the battle continues to be a source of inspiration for artists, filmmakers, and writers, keeping the spirit of the conflict alive in the public consciousness. First, let's step into the realm of cinema, which has often drawn from the wells of history to bring epic battles to the big screen. The Battle of El Alamein has been depicted in several films over the years, each capturing the tension, strategy, and human drama inherent in this critical engagement. Notably, the 1969 film The Battle of El Alamein recounts the clash with captivating performances and vivid cinematography, while the more recent El Alamein, The Line of Fire in 2002 provides a poignant, soldier's eye view of the conflict. Television, too, hasn't been far behind. Documentaries like World War II in Color dedicate entire episodes to the events of El Alamein, interspersing historical facts with dramatic recreations. Even fictional series like Foil's War use the battle as a backdrop, providing glimpses into how the conflict influenced life on the home front. Moreover, the Battle of El Alamein has found significant representation in literature. Novels like An Act of Treachery by and Widcombe weave tales around the battle, turning historical events into a deeply personal journey. Nonfiction accounts like The Desert War by Alan Moorhead paint a detailed picture of the North African campaign, with El Alamein playing a central role. 
the realm of video games hasn't been immune to the allure of El Alamein either. Titles like Battlefield 1942 and Call of Duty 2 allow players to experience the battle firsthand, right from leading an infantry charge to coordinating a tank offensive. Even in music, echoes of El Alamein can be found. The famed singer-songwriter Eric Bogle penned El Alamein Blues, a moving folk song that captures the haunting experience of soldiers at the front. As we see, El Alamein has left an indelible mark on popular culture. By being immortalized in films, books, games, and songs, the battle lives on, not just as a historical event but as a vibrant part of our shared cultural narrative. This potent cultural representation ensures that the Battle of El Alamein continues to be remembered and revered, resonating with new generations who never witnessed the war but can still feel its echoes. Though the echoes of gunfire have long since faded in the sands of El Alamein, memories of the battle live on, etched in stone and metal, commemorated in countless remembrances, and preserved for posterity. A short drive from the hustle and bustle of Alexandria takes you to the serene landscapes of the El Alamein War Cemetery. Here, endless rows of white tombstones stand as silent sentinels to the thousands of soldiers who made the ultimate sacrifice. Each gravestone, inscribed with a name, rank, and often a personal message, tells a poignant tale of bravery and loss. Close to the cemetery is the El Alamein War Museum a testament to Egypt's role in World War II. The museum houses an extensive collection of memorabilia, uniforms, weapons, and maps related to the battle. Each exhibit in this museum tells a part of the El Alamein story, immersing visitors in the intense days and nights of this pivotal conflict. Not far from the museum stands the imposing El Alamein Memorial. Built by the Commonwealth War Graves Commission, this grand structure carries the names of over 11,000 servicemen who have no known grave. Towering over the desert landscape, it serves as a powerful reminder of the human cost of war. Across the sea, in far-flung corners of the world, there are other remembrances. In Australia, there's the El Alamein Fountain in Sydney's King's Cross. Its dandelion design is a symbol of the dispersal of Australian troops around the world and their ultimate return. Meanwhile, in London's Westminster Abbey, an evocative plaque commemorates the 8th Army's victory at El Alamein. Even in the day-to-day, -day, El Alamein is remembered. In Melbourne, a tram terminus and an adjacent park bear the name El Alamein, a local reminder of a distant battle. And back in Egypt, each year, on the anniversary of the battle, veterans and their families gather at El Alamein for a solemn ceremony, honoring the fallen and celebrating peace. Through these monuments and remembrances, the legacy of the Battle of El Alamein endures. They stand as silent reminders of a turbulent past, honoring the bravery of those who fought and fell, and ensuring that their sacrifice is never forgotten. The Battle of El Alamein though etched in the annals of history, remains very much alive in the hearts and minds of people, transcending borders and generations. The story of El Alamein is not just about a clash of tanks and troops, it's also a testament to strategy, leadership, and resilience. Looking back at this crucial conflict, we can glean a few lessons that go beyond the battlefield, providing insights that still resonate today.
the first lesson springs from the meticulous planning and preparation that went into the battle. Field Marshal Montgomery, who took over the 8th Army just before the battle, realized the importance of having a solid plan and ensuring every soldier understood their role in it. This emphasis on thorough preparation and clear communication underpins any successful endeavor, whether it's a military operation, a business venture, or a personal project. The second lesson we can learn is the value of adaptability. The tide of the battle changed several times, with both sides adjusting their strategies in response to their adversaries' moves. Rommel's audacious but overextended advance, and the Allies' shift from a defensive to offensive stance, show us that success often depends on our ability to adapt to changing circumstances. The third lesson lies in the power of perseverance. The Battle of El Alamein was a grueling encounter, lasting nearly a month, with neither side giving quarter. It was a test of endurance as much as a test of strength, underscoring the old adage that victory belongs to the most persevering. The fourth lesson is about the significance of morale. The victory at El Alamein had a profound effect on the Allies' spirits, providing a much-needed boost after a string of defeats. It's a reminder that victories, big or small, can reinvigorate a team, a business, or even a nation, driving them towards greater achievements. Lastly, the Battle of El Alamein stands as a stark reminder of the costs of war. The thousands of graves at the El Alamein War Cemetery bear silent testimony to the human lives lost in the pursuit of geopolitical goals. It's a lesson in the importance of diplomacy, negotiation, and peacebuilding in averting such tragic losses. In many ways, El Alamein continues to teach us long after the final shot was fired. Its lessons on preparation, adaptability, perseverance, morale, and the cost of war offered valuable insights, applicable not only in the realm of military strategy but in all facets of life. As we look back on this pivotal battle, we are reminded that history is not just about remembering events, it's also about understanding them and learning from them.